How the Biden Administration Defends Its Israel Policy Isaac Kotiner Since the October 7 attacks, the Biden administration has offered significant support to Israel in the form of military aid and diplomatic backing at the United Nations. As the Palestinian death toll is estimated to have surpassed 23,000 people and the surviving population is facing a humanitarian crisis amid an Israeli bombardment, the White House has continued to express its concern about civilian casualties and the amount of aid reaching Gaza while defending Israel's campaign. This has led to increasing criticism, both abroad and among some allies at home. Congress, however, has remained largely supportive of the war, even as the administration has twice bypassed the legislature to make emergency weapons sales to Israel. To talk about the administration's policy, I recently spoke by phone with John Kirby, the Strategic Communications Coordinator for the National Security Council and the person who has been perhaps the administration's most prominent spokesperson throughout the conflict in Gaza. During our conversation, which has been edited for length and clarity, we discussed whether Israel is operating according to the laws of war, what the Netanyahu government's endgame is for Gaza and the West Bank, and whether America's warnings to Israel about civilian deaths are being taken seriously. What are the administration's current hopes for the war in Gaza? We've been very clear, very consistent. Number one, we want to make sure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself against the threat emanating from Gaza, which is of course by Hamas. And Hamas still represents a viable threat to the Israeli people. They still have quite a number of fighters and leaders available to them, as well as resources, and they have said publicly that they intend to do, October 7th, again and again and again. Number two, to get those hostages out. They've still got around 140 or so hostages that they're holding, or groups affiliated with them are holding, and we haven't forgotten them. Number three is humanitarian assistance, and the United States is leading the world when it comes to advancing and increasing humanitarian assistance into Gaza. Leading the world, you said? Leading the world in terms of the effort to get humanitarian assistance. I'm not saying that the majority of all the aid is American aid, but we are, the United States, President Biden has been personally involved in pushing forward efforts to increase that aid and assistance into Gaza. Working with Egypt to get the Rafah crossing open, that was the result of personal diplomacy by the president. It was his personal involvement with Netanyahu and Sisi that opened up the Rafah gate. Another big goal of ours in Gaza is, of course, humanitarian assistance. We want to make sure, as Israel prosecutes their operations, that they do so in the most precise, careful, deliberate way. We really are pushing hard to see if we can get a marked reduction in civilian casualties and in the damage to civilian infrastructure. We had been talking to the Israelis a lot about this transition to a new phase of combat operations, a transition to lower-intensity operations, which of course would comport with more targeted operations, more precision, and fewer civilian casualties. You said in this answer, and you have said previously, that we continue to urge the Israelis to be as careful and cautious as possible. Why do they have to be urged to be cautious? Well, we've seen many thousands, many, many thousands of civilians killed in the conflict, caught in the crossfire. We've seen many, many more thousands wounded. Hundreds of thousands displaced. 
I don't mean, why should they be cautious? I mean, why does a democratic country and ally need to be urged to be cautious? Why aren't they being cautious naturally? Well, that's a sort of judgment that we're not making of them. We're not making a judgment about each and every operation that they conduct. That's a question that the Israelis have gotten and should continue to get, in terms of how they're conducting their operations. Let me try it this way, any modern military, certainly a military of a democracy that is fighting a war like this, should be expected to uphold the law of armed conflict and should be expected to conduct their operations with as little impact on innocent civilians as possible. Is that happening? We have seen indications. First of all, they have been receptive to that message. Okay. We have seen indications that they have taken steps to try to get better at reducing civilian casualties. They have, for instance, used a smaller amount of forces when they went into North Gaza than they were originally going to. Some of that was an outgrowth of the advice and counsel we gave them. They have reduced the number of airstrikes that they're conducting. So they are taking steps. But, look, I don't want there to be a shred of doubt, the number of civilian casualties, the right number is zero. We don't want to see any. We don't want to see any more. There's absolutely no question that the Israelis can and should do more to reduce those civilian casualties. The president accused Israel of indiscriminate bombing at one point, I'm curious what that means. Look, he was certainly reflecting a concern that we had, that when it comes to air operations there were ways they could have been more precise. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, was asked if Israel was operating according to the rules of war. He said, I'm not going to sit here and play judge or jury on that question. And you previously said, I am not aware of any kind of formal assessment being done by the United States government to analyze the compliance with international law. Are these things that you're concerned about? We have seen no indication that they are violating the law of war. And, as I said earlier, and Jake said, we're not going to hold a court of inquiry here to determine that. We're not going to armchair quarterback every single operation and event that they conduct. We are giving them weapons, though, right? Well, just wait, wait. We are going to continue to talk to them about the need to continue to conduct operations in the most precise, deliberate, careful way possible. The Israelis aren't waking up every morning, strapping their boots on, and going into the fight with the mindset that they are deliberately going to kill civilians and that they're going to reduce civilian infrastructure to rubble for the sake of doing it. That would certainly be a war crime. Civilian deaths are happening, and happening at a rate that obviously we're not comfortable with. But it doesn't mean that they are intentionally trying to wipe the people of Gaza off the map the same way that Hamas wants to wipe the Israeli people off the map. Indiscriminate bombing sounds not great. Again, the president said that back in December, referring to our increasing concern about the need for the Israelis to be more precise. The question I was trying to get at is that Israel is a country that we consider a very close ally. 
They are. Then shouldn't we expect that of course they're concerned about civilian casualties? We don't need to warn them about these things. We know that they will take care of that themselves, because they care about the value of human life. Well, and they have, again, I can point you to the comments they've said. They've said that they have tried, that they do recognize the concern about civilian casualties. They've said it for themselves in their press conferences. They opened up humanitarian corridors. They've dropped leaflets telling people where to go, where not to go. I mean, that's basically telegraphing their punches. I don't even know that we would do that, drop leaflets on a population and tell them, go here, it's safe, go here, it's not safe. There aren't a lot of safe places, though, correct? I mean, they have done, they have taken steps, and they have taken some risks. That doesn't mean that there can't be more. But they have acknowledged that the civilian casualties are an issue, and they're trying to address it. Again, I'll beat the horse even deader, but I think it's important to make clear that no civilian casualties is the right number. Obviously, that hasn't happened, and each one's a tragedy. Each one is to be mourned and grieved. We all see these images, and they're tough images to see. Which is why we keep talking to them, which is why Blinken is over there now. That's why we are staying so closely lashed up with them. You mentioned the Rafa crossing. Democratic Senators Chris Van Hollen and Jeff Merkley recently traveled there and they described what they said were arbitrary inspections by Israel and what seemed like the lack of a desire to actually get the required aid through. Have you talked to the senators about that, or do you have a sense of what was going on? I'm not aware that there's been a conversation with the senators about that. Okay. But do you think enough aid is getting through or not? No. No. No, no. By no means do we think enough aid is getting in. We are not satisfied that enough aid is getting in. And that's why, the humanitarian envoy, David Satterfield, is on the ground trying to work this as hard as we can. You have expressed concern about a lot of things, civilian casualties, the amount of aid getting in. I know at different times the administration has expressed concern about the long-term political future of Gaza and the Palestinians more broadly. But right now we're giving Israel almost unqualified support, we're giving them military aid without congressional approval. We're telling them that they should do A, B, and C, but we're also saying they're going to get what they want regardless. Is there a mixed message there? No. And I'll tell you why, from the very beginning, we have had conversations with our Israeli counterparts about not just what they're doing but how they're doing it. And that lash-up has been very tight and will continue to be that way. We have not shied away from being very candid and forthright with them about our concerns. They have made certain changes. That doesn't mean that more can't be made. But we also believe, and this gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, there was a ceasefire in place on October 6, the Hamas head, Yahya Sinwar decided to break that ceasefire. And no country, we wouldn't, should be willing to sit by and tolerate that kind of threat existing literally on their backstoop. 
How would you characterize what's happening right now in the West Bank in terms of the clashes between Israel and the Palestinians and increasing settlement activity? Yeah, we're very concerned about that. Concerned, yeah. And that's something, again, President Biden has spoken about from very, very early on after the attacks, I think within a week or two. We were starting to see extremist settler violence against the Palestinians in the West Bank, and we've called it out publicly. We've certainly made our concerns well known to the Israelis in private settings. It's unacceptable. And there were more, I think, in just the last 24 hours or so. The numbers are worrisome. The violence is definitely worrisome. You saw that we took action in terms of visa bans for some of these settlers. We're not taking off the table additional action if needed. But it needs to stop, and it is deeply concerning to us. Is there any fear, though, that if you see what's happening in the West Bank and what the Israeli government and Israeli settlers are doing with government support, that that may suggest something about the ultimate hopes that the Israeli government has for relations with the Palestinians that might be different from what the Americans claim to want? Well, there's a lot there. Right. How can I put this? We believe that settlements, future settlements, certainly are an obstacle to peace. We still believe that there should be a viable path to a two-state solution. The violence that is being visited upon the Palestinian people by these settlers, and some of the comments made by some of the more extreme members of Mr. Netanyahu's cabinet, is counterproductive to moving that forward. But not Netanyahu himself? I understand that some of his cabinet members don't believe in a two-state solution. We still do. Before the October 7 attacks, we were working toward a normalization deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia as a good first step, a milestone toward getting to a two-state solution, because in that normalization deal there was going to be something for the Palestinians. We still want to get that back on track. Now, obviously, people are focused on what's going on in Gaza, and we understand that it's not going to happen anytime soon. But we still believe that that's an important set of steps to take to try to get us to a two-state solution. Is it worth distinguishing Prime Minister Netanyahu from the more extreme members of his cabinet who the Americans have called out? Do you see him as somehow different in his political orientation from them? Well, it wouldn't be my place to characterize Prime Minister Netanyahu. I don't think we'd want to be doing that. Look, he is the elected Prime Minister of Israel. The people of Israel get to decide that, not the United States. President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu have a long-standing relationship. They know each other well. They obviously don't agree on everything politically. But Israel remains a close ally and friend, and this is what friends do. Friends can have those kinds of candid, forthright conversations. Friends can ask friends tough questions. And President Biden and our team are doing that. Express concern and ask tough questions? Of course. Yeah. I didn't mean to say that we get to decide who Israel elects. 
but, given that we're giving so much aid to the country, we might have desires about these sorts of things. But we have expressed concerns in those conversations about how they are prosecuting these operations. We haven't been shy about doing that. When it comes to Ukraine, you said, Russian forces are in fact committing war crimes. You don't have to look further than MSNBC to see the evidence and proof of that. I think a lot of people look at MSNBC or CNN and see what's going on in Gaza, and even President Biden talking about indiscriminate bombing, and they think, well, Israel is committing war crimes, too. This is Western hypocrisy. How do you see that? Mr. Putin, part of his war aims, part of his strategy, baked into his playbook, is eliminating Ukraine as a sovereign state and subjugating the people of Ukraine. So his forces have been deliberately committing atrocities. Not incidentally, not people caught in the crossfire, although that has happened. It is not a stated war aim or goal of the Israeli War Cabinet or the Israel Defense Forces to deliberately, wantonly, and with purpose and intent, slaughter, torture, maim, and rape innocent Palestinians. Yeah, the proper number of civilian casualties is zero. I'm not saying that people aren't being killed. I'm not saying that they aren't being wounded. I'm not saying they aren't being displaced. And more can be done to prevent that. Absolutely. But it is not a war aim. It's not an objective of Prime Minister Netanyahu to wipe the Palestinians off the map or to wipe Gaza off the map the way it is for Putin. And that's a big difference. Intent matters a lot. Do you think it's an intent for the Israeli government to prevent the Palestinians from having their own state? That's a question you've got to ask the Israeli government. I'm not qualified to say that. Diamond suit.